Hello. How's it going? Good? Tired? Good? I feel like there were some hands when Carter asked if people were tired. Uh, my name is Andrew Sladke, and I am on staff at Orchard Hill Church. I also work at a software de design company in Waterloo called Visual Logic. Um, so I kind of do two, two things in balance. Um, I got married this summer in August to Sarah Sladke. Um, I think there's a photo of our, of our wedding day. It was, a, it was a really fun day. It was great. Um, and as we were uh, planning our wedding, which, by the way, weddings are a ton of work to plan, uh, we kept telling ourselves, okay, if we can just make it past the wedding, which we were excited about the wedding, by the way, but we were like, if we can just make it past the wedding, all of this work will slow down and we'll finally be able to just breathe. And now we're past the wedding, and we're tackling all the stuff we said we would do after the wedding, and now we're like, if we can just make it to, like, November, <laughs> Maybe we can breathe in. Um, as I start kind of um, thinking about all the things that we're doing and involved in and, and whatnot, I, I start asking myself the question a little bit. When it gets overwhelming, when is it enough? Or what is enough? Will we ever get there or make it? Um, are we even doing all the stuff that we should be doing? Is it, is it even important? <clears throat> and I, I'm not going to teach really about busyness tonight, even though it sounds like it. We did a series on this last year, so you could, you could go listen to the podcast. But um, sometimes I kind of want to make a comparison because sometimes I feel like um, this in my faith. Sometimes I feel really encouraged and energized and strong in my faith. Like I have a lot of momentum. And then sometimes I just feel dead and drained. Like I'm going through the motions, trying to fit it all in. I think I'm doing the right things. I volunteer once in a while, and um, I donate some money to the church or to some organizations that I believe in and care about. I've been on some mission trips. I'm kind to people, at least like 95% of the time, I think. It's kind of like I, I start, maybe this is true for you too, but I feel like I kind of start tallying these things up in my head. Um, and I think oftentimes we get to this place of like, was that enough? Is this enough? Am I doing enough? I mean, I probably could get into my Bible a little more often, or um, has it been two weeks since I've been to church? Because <clears throat> my calendar is on my, my wrist. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I want to kind of bring something in, and I know we're teaching about James, but we're going to actually start in Ephesians with something that Paul said. He said, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so not works, it sounds like it's not really something I do that saves me, so what am I even doing, right? Something similar can be found in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So why do good things if I'm going to just be forgiven anyway? Or if God's grace is enough, then, then why even do what I'm doing? I mean, I know God wants me to do good things. I feel bad when I do not the right thing. Um, but Paul says that's not really the key to being saved. And then James comes in, and he confuses this whole thing even more, I think, at first. And then I actually think he clears it up a little bit. And so that's where we're going to go. We're going to um, be in chapter 2 of James tonight. 
So if you guys want to open your Bibles and turn there, uh, we'll start in verse 14. And James is like five pages long in my Bible, so it's tough to find. If you use the table of contents, honestly, that might be the best, the best method. Um, and this is actually a really highly disputed piece of scripture, among, or has been at least, among Christians. Uh, Martin Luther, who broke away from the Catholic Church in like the 1400s, um, is the, he's the father of Protestantism, which by the way, basic is a Protestant ministry, so it's kind of like he founded um, the ministry we're at tonight. Um, but basically, Martin Luther actually thought James contradicted Paul because of the passage that we're about to read. He actually thought that it, James, as a book, should be removed from the Bible. He said, we should throw out the epistle of James from this school, for it doesn't amount to much. And then he said, St. James's epistle is really an epistle of straw, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. That's pretty crazy. So, um, should we dig into this <laughs> passage? <clears throat> we'll start in verse 14 in chapter 2. And, and James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Okay, we're, all gonna, we're already going to pause here. Um, I, I think I actually kind of see where Martin Luther was at. This feels totally different from what Paul said in Ephesians, right? Paul says, works won't save you. And then James comes in right here in this verse and says, is your faith really going to save you if you don't do works? What do we do when the Bible seems to, like, contradict itself? Um, actually, when I really started looking into this, I texted Carter Moore and was just like, why did I pick this? <laughs> this is overwhelming. <laughs> I don't have these answers. So I feel like we should just keep reading because this is what I think we do when the Bible contradicts itself or when we don't totally understand. So in verse 15, he kind of gives this example. And he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So he's saying here that if we just say some kind words to someone in need, it's useless. We should actually help them, right? I, I get that. He continues in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is, and then he uses this word that I think might be the key um, to, the, to unraveling this whole thing. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. What does that mean, dead? I actually am going to ask you to like circle or underline or highlight that word because it, it really is going to be important later. And we'll get to that. He gives, gives kind of this other hypothetical example. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. And James would reply to that, well, show me your faith without deeds. And I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So I think he's kind of saying, like, not that we have to prove our faith to each other, but um, you really can't prove anything to me by just telling me that you believe. But I'll show you my faith by the, the actions and the things that I'm doing. And then comes the craziest verse, I think, in this entire reading. Verse 19, it blew, it blew my mind when I read it and really thought about it. He says, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Oh, crazy, right? The demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. He believes that God exists. I believe God exists. So what makes me different than Satan, right? I mean, that's what he's saying here. It is a crazy thought. 
And then he starts calling us names in verse 20. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he gives these two examples from the Old Testament. The first one was about Abraham. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And he's talking about the story in Genesis of Abraham and, and his son Isaac. And God basically says to Abraham, um, I want you to take your one and only son who you love a ton and bring him up on top of this mountain to an altar and kill him, sacrifice him. And Abraham did it. Um, and actually, like, an angel came down and stopped him right before he killed his son. But um, it was like this complete act of faith. And so James explains this act in verse 22. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Complete would be another good word to underline. Did, this action word would be another good one. <clears throat> It's almost like he's saying maybe there's this completely other version of faith. If there's like a complete version of faith, is there a version of my faith that might be incomplete? He goes on in, in verse 23 and 24 to kind of sum up that story, but we're going to move to 25, and, and he gives this other example um, of a woman named Rahab. He says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies? and sent them off in a different direction. And, and this is another crazy story, but basically she like, protected people, risked her life to protect some people, um, and it was, it was a big trusting God moment for her. Notice it says Rahab the prostitute. I think he used these, these two examples because back then these people would have been like, well, that's Abraham. Like, he's good and, and whatever. But then he, he brings up this person who like, probably isn't following the rules every single day and still is given um, like this credit of righteousness for something that she did once. And then the final verse in this chapter, verse 26. I think this might be um, the most powerful verse for me in this one. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's comparing um, a dead faith to a dead body. And if you've ever been to a funeral with an open casket, I, I know that when I've been to those, it's, um, it's hard because I feel like the person in the casket isn't really them. Like, it's, it's their body, but it's not them, right? The person who I knew was way more than just what they looked like. And it's a morbid picture, but I think that's what he's trying to go for here. He's saying, your faith without something to give it life is dead. And faith is way more than just what it looks like on the outside. This is a lot of stuff. So I want to try to break this down into like some three, like three big questions that I had after I read this passage. Um, the first one is, there are different kinds of faith. Didn't know that, didn't think about that before. The second one is, what are works? We talk about doing them, but what even are they? And then the third one is, why do we do works, right? And this goes back to those questions from the very beginning of like, why even do this stuff? So first, let's talk about these different kinds of faith. Um, he talks about uh, living or a complete version of faith, and then he talks about this like dead or incomplete version of faith. And I've, I've never thought that before. Something that I do want to point out is that James never once in this passage says, if you don't do works, then you don't believe at all. He, really, he uses things like, can such faith save them? So he's kind of talking about, like, can a faith that looks this certain way save you? 
This can be kind of confusing, so I want to use this um, like hypothetical example to illustrate what I think is happening here. So this is totally a made-up story, um, but let's just imagine that I want to run a marathon. I don't know if some of you, does any of you guys run the half marathon or the full marathon? Okay, awesome. Can we just even give you a round of applause? That's a big, yeah, that's awesome. Um, in Des Moines, a couple, was it just last weekend? Okay, so let's say that I want to run the full marathon. That's a, that's a, was it the half or the full? The half, okay. Well, can you imagine doing it twice? No. It's a lot. So I, um, I, I, I don't really know what to, where, you're, where to even start with this marathon thing, but my good friend Brad Myers, who is sitting behind the soundboard, he runs sound here, so everybody wave at Brad. Um, he's very talented at that, very great musician, um, but also has this cool passion for running. And so I go, Brad, can I, um, can, can I ask you for some help? I want to run a marathon, and I don't even know where to start. And Brad comes to me and says, actually, it's funny, a couple other people have said that they're interested in doing this, so I thought about just starting like a weekly meeting that we can just all get together and I'll, I'll tell you guys all about running and I'll tell you some stories and whatnot. I'm like, that sounds great. So we get to this first meeting and um, I walk in and he's playing the song, We Are the Champions by Queen, and I'm feeling super pumped up and inspired. And then he starts talking about some tactical things that we could do as runners. So we need to have the right equipment. We need to have the right shoes with a good grip. And I didn't even know this, but there's different levels of support for different kinds of feet, and you got to go figure that out. And then he talks about, um, well, it's getting kind of cold out. So something that's pretty important to have is um, a nice pair of running tights. And they're good because they keep you warm, and they're like aerodynamic, but... Um, but then they also look incredibly great on everybody. So um, you should go buy this pair. Of, and he gives us an Amazon link and whatever. And, and, and then he goes into some stories that, of his running experience and some successes that he's had and some failures and how he kind of overcame those. And I left this meeting just feeling like I knew what I was doing. I'm inspired and encouraged and ready to go. I go home and I buy the shoes and I, and I order the tights and I post a picture of the shoes on my Instagram and I actually changed the bio on my Instagram and now it says Andrew Sladke, follower of Jesus, runner. This is the first week that I'm doing this, right? <laughs> kind of crazy. And I actually didn't really find much time to uh, go run that week, but I went back to the meeting the next week and I felt super encouraged again and I kept doing this and kept doing this. And then the day of the marathon came and I'm at the start line and the shotgun start goes up, and, and I just start running, and I'm feeling really good, and I make it one mile. I never ran while we were doing this stuff. I just went to the meetings and felt encouraged. I made it one mile, and my legs started cramping up, and I kind of felt like I was going to be sick, and I just collapsed. Well, duh, right? If I never trained for it. I mean, you ran a half marathon. You, you said you couldn't even imagine running a full marathon. <clears throat> so that's just a hypothetical example, right? But Brad is actually a good, a good runner and, and good at that. Um, but here's how I think this illustration can connect to what James is saying about our different kinds of faith. If you remember that crazy verse about the demons, I mean, he says they believe, and I think he's saying they believe in that they acknowledge God's existence, but they have a dead faith. In other words, they're doing nothing that actually agrees with or aligns with who God is and what he wants for this world. They have all the knowledge of him, but they don't follow him. I can go to Brad's weekly runner meeting and get inspired, but if I never actually lace up my shoes and step out my front door and apply what I've learned, I'm not a runner. 
I just know about running. Same thing as we can go to church every week or come to basic every week and feel inspired and gain all the knowledge about who God is, but if we never close our Bibles and our journals and actually step out the front door and apply what we've learned, then are we following Jesus or do we just know about him? I think what James is saying is we have to go beyond just believing that God exists to fully trusting him. And this is the difference between a dead faith, one where we just simply acknowledge God's existence, and a living faith where we actually live out the things that he's asking of us. It's the difference between believing that and believing in. I can believe that it's good to recycle and use less waste because it's better for the world and not actually participate in it. But if I believe in a world where there's less waste and, and it, the earth is clean, and I think we talked about global warming tonight before this, then I'll actually do something to help, right? So to have a living faith, we need to do works. But what are works? That's my next question. If you go back to verse 22, James is kind of summing up the story of Abraham, right? And he says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Abraham took a huge leap of faith when he brought his son Isaac to the altar to be killed. It would have been one thing for him to say, yeah, God, I know that you know all things, and I know that you um, are probably right, and you know best. But there is no way that Abraham actually thought that it was a good idea to kill his son, right? But when saying it and doing the thing, work together, James says that's complete faith. We don't always agree with God, and oftentimes we think our way is best. At least I do. Sometimes following his way takes a ton of trust. We're putting ourselves last or putting other people before us. So what are works? Is it feeding the hungry? Or is it praying for somebody? Is it forgiving somebody? I think it could be any of those things. But how I think he's saying this and what, what we, maybe we can define it, and we'll talk about some tactical things in just a minute, but I think that the definition of works here is a work is any act that demonstrates complete trust in God. Saying that you trust him is one thing, but actually acting on it is complete faith. And this actually maybe kind of answers that question from earlier, right, of like why do we do works? I think we do works because they demonstrate complete faith in God. We do them because it completes our faith, trusting that his way is better. James is saying here, it's really, I, I'm not making a commentary about how much you do. Abraham only did one thing, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and Rahab only did one thing, and it made her faith complete. I think this is a tough concept for us, right, because we live in a world where um, it's, it's hard to get away from the idea of enough because we have to earn enough credits and get good enough grades so that we can get a good enough job and make enough money to buy enough stuff. And we feel like we have to have enough friends or enough plans, get enough likes on Instagram to even just feel like we're enough. But Jesus came, just as a reminder, Jesus came to make all of us who are never enough enough. We do works because it demonstrates complete faith in God, but we are still saved 
by Jesus' grace. It's not that he's like condemning us if we don't do enough works or enough things, but that actually maybe we're just naturally dead when we don't live his way, when we live in a worldly or a selfish way. Just like I'm naturally dead if I don't train for a marathon and then try to run 26 miles, right? Or our planet is naturally condemned if we don't actually help and take care of it. We do works because it demonstrates complete faith in God, but we're still saved by grace. And if we look back at what Paul said in Ephesians earlier, I don't, I don't even think Paul and James were contradicting each other. So sorry, Martin Luther. But I think that James might have been just clarifying something for us. If we look back at what Paul said and insert the word living or complete in front of faith, I think this actually gives us kind of a full understanding of what's happening. For it is by grace you've been saved through a living faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So when we have a living faith, Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you get it perfect all the time or check all the boxes. In fact, you can't. That's why I died on the cross. And because you have complete faith in me, my grace is enough for you. In other words, the works do not save you. I do. The works give your faith life, and they demonstrate complete trust in me something that just doesn't come from only knowing about me. And then I kind of I like to imagine what Jesus is saying in my mind a little bit. I think um, he would say something like, here's what's actually really fun about this. In return, when you have a living faith, the very works that demonstrate your faith in me and your trust in me actually are making the world a better place. They carry out my grand vision of bringing heaven and earth together. And this kind of changes the way that I even think about the word saved when James or when Paul says it, the idea of salvation. What if when we talk about being saved, we're not just talking about what happens to us when we die? Because my brain goes there sometimes, and I actually think maybe this is part of the reason why I start this checklist thing, right? I'm getting here, and how do I get there? But what if God has this grander vision than just get into heaven? If we take a step back from being saved, describing us individually, and look at it as saved as a whole, then maybe, rather, saved is about the restoration of the whole world. God's grander vision is a world living in total peace and total unity, despite our differences, and he invites us to be an active part in that. We're living in a broken world, in a scary world, in a gross world, in a dark world. And there's beauty in it. And Bradley talked last week about the things that are beautiful are of God. But it's also broken. What if God is really just trying to save us from ourselves and from our own brokenness? And this might sound like a crazy idea, but what if God just wants to use us to save us? And James is just saying it's not going to happen if we all have a dead faith, if we just sit idly by and act like we have all the answers and never do anything about it. This is why I think the BLESS model that we talk about at BASIC all the time is so incredibly important because it's actually a tangible way for us to live out our faith. 
And I think the blessed model can look a lot of different ways for different people. And likewise, I think that works might look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. And for you tonight, maybe it's as simple as like putting your hand up during worship or something. That might take a lot of faith for you to do. To say, God, I don't even know where I'm at right now. But I give it all to you. I trust you. Or every week we invite you to join the prayer team in the back. And maybe you've thought that for a few weeks. I should go take advantage of that, but haven't done it. Because it's kind of scary. That might be a leap of faith for you. Maybe it's nice tonight. I think for all of us, we could start by loving people. When I think about living out my faith, I just think about one of the greatest commandments, right? It's all over the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Sometimes, I think it actually takes a great deal of faith to love people who are different from us. And I actually think it doesn't take much faith at all to criticize or to try to correct other people. Carter talked about this going way back to the very first night. He said, you can't change people. You can bless them, though. Can we just love people? Can we love people, whether they're gay or straight or black or white or male or female or other? Um, an author that I really like uh, named Richard Rohr, priest and author and a lot of different things, said once, about this very idea, he says, how could that kind of thinking ever make Jesus the savior of the world when all it's expert at is excluding? All it does is tell us who doesn't belong. Bradley last week talked about us living in this like battle of loneliness. I think Jesus is like, let me do the saving. I'll do it. My grace is enough. You guys do the loving. You just do that. And when you do that, your faith is alive. It is a living and a complete faith. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and they're going to sing a, a really great song, a special song tonight. Um, and, and it's actually, it paints this beautiful like, picture of living faith, I think. And there's a line in it that is the chorus, and it repeats over and over again, I believe and I will follow. I believe and I will follow. I believe and I will follow. These things are working together. They complete our faith, right? That's what James says. And it's not always going to be easy, and sometimes I think we actually have to take these huge leaps of faith even in our darkest hours. Bradley talked about last week the, the act of faith that it took him to follow Jesus in one of his darkest times. So I, throughout this song, I just want you to like sit and listen, close your eyes or look at the lyrics on the screen and just think about what does this look like for me to like believe in Jesus but also go the extra step of like living my faith out and following him.
to it. 